And um, my next guest in the studio has been on the 123 show a while back, but let me just tell you a little bit more. Grassroots Future is a registered charity in Hong Kong which came out out of a desire to help refugee-led initiatives and grassroots organisations working with refugees to build capacity. Their journey started with the Table of Two Cities, a grassroots storytelling initiative to showcase refugee narratives through the medium of food. Tegan Smythe is the brainchild behind this fantastic initiative and she joins me in the studio today to tell me how they are moving forward and how we can be involved in some of their exciting events. Welcome, Tegan. Thanks, Sadia. It's great to see you again. It's been a while and yeah. great to be on the One Two Three show again and still. And a lot has happened for you because I know you were in and we talked about Table of Two Cities. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your journey uh, I want to do it in a succinct way because I think I'd be here all day if I <laughs> went through everything that's happened since we last spoke. But um, so basically, Grassroots Future is a relatively new uh, registered charity, but it's on the back of several years of work, community organising. And as we've previously spoken on the show, we do events with the refugee community. So Grassroots Future is really an extension of that. We're still doing community events with uh, members of the refugee and asylum seeker community, but we also are running educational initiatives and well-being initiatives and we've just kick-started our first uh, educational program for adults so right now um, we're organizing a couple of fundraisers so we can bring attention to the sort of work that we're doing uh, and I think also probably the biggest thing that's changed since we last spoke is um, I, I was actually juggling setting up a charity and working full-time in finance mm. I've recently made the switch wow. to uh, make this my full-time thing wow yeah and how does that feel because that's that's quite a major move. Isn't it, it is a major move. Um, don't you feel that, like with COVID, everyone is sort of, I guess, getting to a point where they're trying to test out new things? Mm. I think. Mm. Uh, I think I, it's I, given yeah. them that sort of motivation because. Yeah. It's almost like a new start. You can actually think about things like that. Exactly. Um, I think in some ways, you know, all of our programming, for example, has happened during COVID, but in a way um, it's presented opportunities as well because, you know, um, we've had to be more creative about the way that we do things. And I think, yeah, you're right. Like uh, COVID's kind of given everyone a push. And for me, I think, because uh, we, we got our charity status in September 2020, so we've actually just celebrated one year of mm-hmm. Grassroots Future. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was at a point where I was juggling my full-time job in a bank and, you know, being the CEO and founder of a charity that's that's registered as well, so it's not a small thing anymore. So, um, yeah, I, I'm actually really delighted to start this new chapter of my life, but, you know, it mm-hmm. is very different, for sure. So tell <laughs> me exactly what you are doing now, I mean, with Grassroots where have you got all of these little shoots coming up what sort of things are you doing (laughs) I love that metaphor Um, (laughs) so we're still doing events like we always do um, but obviously with COVID it's meant that we've had to be selective about what we've done we've had to comply with uh, local um, health and safety regulations so we're actually holding an event on the 24th of November called Indonesian Night and it's one year after we were originally going to hold this event oh wow yeah and the thing that was sad about it last year is we cancelled it about three days before it was going to happen, um, but we'd spent over a month coordinating with the with the chefs involved, you know, exactly how to curate the menu in the evening. So we're really lucky right now that I think things are a little bit more normal. It's easier to gather and hold space. So uh, we're going to hold this event uh, on the 24th of this month. And where is that going to be? It's going to be at this venue called House in Causeway Bay. 
Mm-hmm. And obviously, if somebody's interested to go to that, they just need to go on the if there's an Eventbrite page. Yes, it's on Eventbrite. And it's also on our uh, Facebook page. So if you just look Grassroots Future up, you'll find it. So food is still very much the vehicle to get people together through uh, in Grassroots as well? Or is it your you're juggling with other things as well? I think to an extent it still is. I think, you know, when I'm thinking from the perspective of people that are new to perhaps the the social issues around the refugee community, and I guess you ask the what's in it for me, I think for a lot of people food is still that kind of, that precipice that they want to um, encounter and that's a way that you can, you can, you know, gather people in one space. Um, But of course the pandemic's also forced us to be a little bit creative because as you know, we can't always do food. There events. are limitations to yeah. how many people you can have in these some of these things, exactly, right? Exactly, exactly. So in a way, um, I think if we had registered our charity before the pandemic, things might have been a little bit different. But as it was, you know, people are so affected mentally in terms of their mental health that we've made well-being. It was already going to be a big part of our new organisation, but we've made it a really integral part of our charity. So since January, when we started our activities in earnest as a charity, we've organised different well-being activities for adults and children, um, because I think the pandemic has like, affected all of our mental health in different ways, but I mm-hmm. think, especially for marginalised communities, Absolutely. it's just there terrible. There are even more pressures now, exactly. aren't they? And, and what are we talking about in terms of backgrounds and nationality? here. We've got quite a, a diverse spread of people, haven't yes. we? Yeah. And nationalities. It's extremely diverse. So I think the main geographies that you would encounter um, in terms of the refugee and asylum seeker community in Hong Kong is there's a very large African diaspora. Um, that's both sub-Saharan African and North African. There's also pockets of Middle Eastern folks. And then there's also people who come from South and Southeast Asia uh, for various reasons. Some of them might have experienced religious persecution in their country of origin. So um, it is a bit of a melting pot in a way. It's almost like a mini United Nations. But um, the thing is right now, I'm not sure what the exact number of asylum seekers are in Hong Kong because the official metrics were prior to the pandemic and that puts it at 14,000 people. But now no one actually knows. There's Mm -hmm. not been any census data on what the true number of asylum seekers in the city is at this point in time. Obviously, um, one of the aims of the charity is to actually, you know, give support and provide that sort of a confidence for for these communities to actually go out there and do things. But at the same time, it's also about raising awareness of the kinds of issues that they feel and, and breaking down those stereotypes, isn't it? What kind of things do you find that they talk to you about that can be distressing? Because I can see that, you know, just being a member of, you know, looking different, yeah. um, even for me, like, you know, I can I can feel certain things when I'm out and about in Hong Kong. Yeah. So what are the sort of issues that you're trying to tackle? I think the main thing is um, we obviously understand that raising awareness is an integral part of getting people aware of the situation faced by refugees in Hong Kong, but we hope to do more than just that. Mm -hmm. We hope that there's a call to action that comes as a result of it. So I think one of the biggest stresses for a lot of people, especially families, is what future they're going to give their children because children that are born to asylum seeker parents are stateless. They are allowed to attend school, but Mm -hmm. they're unable to receive subsidies ahead of the school year. So a lot of them need to 
borrow money from people in order to pay for their textbook fees. So that's something that you know I I'm personally very invested in. And even before we got our charity status, anytime we did events, we try to put some money aside to help families in our network with their textbook fees. This year, we've helped 31 children wow. with their textbooks, but. You know, even with that, it does sort of feel like you're scratching the surface. Are you campaigning? So are you, I mean, are there plans to actually do official sort of campaigning to get much more funds for these things? We are, we are trying to do that. I think, you know, honestly, we're in our first year of operation, so it's early days for us, but I think for sure it's something that we need to bring attention to. I think also just the environmental cost of, you know, needing to always buy new textbooks. Uh, and this probably gets me on to my next point. Um, it's extremely uh, wasteful that every term, every semester, parents who already don't have the right to work, already are in financial dire straits, are being told they need to spend thousands of dollars for their educational um, costs for their kids. And all these books are brand new and basically the book list changes all the time. Oh. So it's a huge environmental wastage mm. issue. Um, I think not just for refugee families, but families in Hong Kong in general. So I think, you know, what we are trying to do as an organization as well is also think about the environmental context in which we do all of our activities and all of our work. So I think in campaigning for better assistance for kids, I think we also need to raise the question, why do we need to change the books every time? Mm -hmm. Why can't we invest in more of a culture of using secondhand or having a system where kids who are below the poverty line are able to access materials at no additional cost, but also using the resources that are already available. So, you know, we're actually starting, uh, we, we have started this uh, sustainable fashion program recently. So mm -hmm. we've received partial funding um, from Lush and we're really excited to uh, announce it to people, but we are um, con concentrating our fundraising efforts right now to help support this program. Mm -hmm. So basically what it will involve is getting five people from the refugee community to develop a portfolio of work using crochet and using materials that are biodegradable and sustainable. So we're very happy to get support from Lush um, in terms of getting the materials for the program. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the guests later on in your show um, is actually from yes. one of the... Um, on Trash yeah. Talk today, we're talking recycling <laughs> in Hong Kong. That's yeah, right. exactly. So we're working with um, a subsidiary of Novatex, um, among others, basically to source some of the uh, raw fibres that we're using in the program. But we, we want to promote a culture of upcycling. We want to also look at environmental issues from the vantage point of the refugee community and actually show that people from this community have contributions to make. Mm -hmm. And I think it's timely that right now we're in the middle of COP26, but mm -hmm. we're not really seeing migrant voices mm -hmm. at the table. We're mm -hmm. not really seeing refugee voices at the table, but climate change is affecting all of us. Yes, so, absolutely. So this is sort of the impetus of um, why we started this program and um, how we're hoping to design future programs um, that we'll be launching from next year. Is there an appetite out there? Do you Have you seen a difference in the last year or so um, just on people's interest in these areas and wanting to do something about it? Because I think there's been a significant change. I think there? so too. I mean, I, I think in a way, um, being green or eco-friendly is kind of in vogue, but I think 
as a society, we still are grappling with what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, we still are kind of, I guess, in a single-use culture in many ways. So, you know, we still might be using things that might be a little bit better for the planet, but ultimately, you know, don't biodegrade or take a long time to do so. But really, um, I guess the sort of natural progression that we need to go to is actually just finding a way to avoid using single-use items or if we have any items that are single-use how do you repurpose and upcycle for for another purpose mm. um, I think you know the reason why we're looking at fashion and why we're looking at crochet there's so and upcycling much wastage. is there's so much wastage Absolutely. the refugee community also uh, so our partner is refugee union they're one of our partners because um, we we want to work very closely with refugee-led um, organizations they often receive t-shirts and items of clothing that might have stains or might be damaged and the thing is people don't necessarily have a use for these sorts of things and you know unfortunately I think a lot of garments will all receive the same fate when they go to bargain bins or Mm. even charity donations they'll probably at some point end up in a landfill Mm. so what can you do to avoid that and I think this is a bigger question we all need to ask ourselves Um, one of our partners is uh, breadline so they actually do a bread redistribution service they run it every Friday Um, I think there's probably a few that do some similar things in Hong Kong but um, I really like how sort of decentralized breadline is it's very easy to volunteer Mm -hmm. and because of the things that they've been able to distribute it means that thousands of loaves of bread that would have otherwise be thrown out into the bin actually get distributed to people that need the food and I really think that we need to be kind of thinking about what we already have in circulation instead of producing more all the time that's exactly right, that's right yeah. gosh you've got your hands in um, a number <laughs> of different things now um, let me just ask you like you know it's a big step that you've taken to do this you're obviously incredibly active and stuff what has been the most difficult part of it for you you know to actually make that kind of conversion from from working full-time and then becoming a CEO of a charity Oh, I think it's totally a different mind shift. Um, yeah, because in a sense, you're only accountable to yourself when when you know you you run your own organisation. I mean, you're you're accountable to perhaps your board as well. But I think it's different to being an employee where you have the ability to clock off. I think this is probably a sentiment that's shared by other CEOs that you've speak, spoken to. Yeah. But you know, a lot of them probably it's twenty four seven, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Like, you don't it would, get it would a break. easily be twenty four seven unless you develop some strong boundaries. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Tegan, you're doing some fabulous work. If people want to find out a little bit more about the kind of activities, just give us the the Facebook page or Eventbrite. What what? They just go to Eventbrite and look up. Yeah, so they can go to Eventbrite and look up the Grassroots Future event, or you can go to the Grassroots Future Facebook page, Instagram page, and RSVP there. There's a link um, in the events to purchase your tickets. Great. I wish you uh, a great amount of luck because I just think you're doing some amazing stuff. And I hope that, you know, you can come back and tell me more about it at some point or to Noreen. But good luck with those events. And, uh, I'm certainly going to try and get into that Indonesian night where it's food. Where yeah, there's food. definitely. Where there's food, I do try and get there. So thank you so much, Tegan. Thank you, Sophie. Good luck. Yeah.